focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, first off, uh, joining us in the studio, as she always does every Fridays, uh, Son Bogyoung. Bogyoung, welcome back. Hi, good evening. And uh, joining us for the very first time here on Korea Now, a uh, new voice, a new face, another Son joining us in the studio, <laughs> Son Mian. Mian, uh, welcome to our program. Good evening. All right. Uh, we have this is I think this is the first time we have like uh, two people with the same uh, last names, uh, not to mention Sona, not the most <laughs> common last name out there. Uh, today, we're going to start things off uh, with some news on uh, kind of uh, sort of unusual here. But on Thursday, North Korean aircrafts uh, flew these uh, flew near the South Korean territory, conducted some shooting exercises as well. This is obviously very concerning as we've only been sort of seeing missile provocations, whether it be short-range ballistic missiles or these intermediate ballistic missiles. Uh, but this time we're talking about aircrafts and their exercises being conducted near the South Korean territory. Uh, Pokyung, start us off. Uh, give us the latest on this. Right. So as Pyongyang's latest show of force, 12 North Korean military aircrafts were detected flying in formation near South Korea's so-called Special Surveillance Line, at one point even flying south of it. The aircrafts, however, did not cross over the tactical action line, which is a virtual line established by South Korea 20 to 50 kilometers north of its airspace. According to the South Korean military, this unusual event happened around 2 p.m. on Thursday. It's also believed that eight fighters and four bombers flew for approximately an hour from Koksan towards Hwangju, both in the north, Hwanghae-do province. South Korea responded with overwhelming might, dispatching around 30 of its own combat aircraft, including the F-15Ks. Observers say that this very unusual move is another form of retaliation by the regime against South Korea, the U.S., and Japan's recent trilateral military exercises, including the recent missile defense drills the same day, the anti-submarine drills that happened last week. Yeah, this is obviously uh, very concerning, but at the same time, like I mentioned very earlier, uh, it is unusual uh, that we are seeing these kind of action from uh, North Korea. Uh, should we be threatened by this? Should we be very concerned by this? And also uh, give us the details on why this event uh, by North Korea is considered, quote unquote, unusual. Sure. So first of all, SJ, there's no reason for South Korea to feel threatened. As the South Korean military has described, South Korea dispatched its combat aircrafts, the F-15Ks, what the South Korean military calls as overwhelming might. And also, aside from all the military assets of the country, having the U.S. Navy's USS Ronald Reagan, which is a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier, redeployed near the Korean Peninsula, already shows the resolute will of the South Korea-U.S. alliance to strengthen the alliance's readiness posture against North Korea's consecutive provocations and to respond decisively to any kind of provocation and threat from North Korea. But I would also like to add that normally North Korea's air force is relatively much weaker than that of South Korea. They're always uh, short of fuel as well, so most of the times it's hard to see aircrafts flying in the north skies. But this time, North Korea dispatched around 10 aircrafts loaded with missiles, even engaging in air-to-surface shooting practice. This shows the strong determination of North Korea that they are no longer afraid of the U.S. strategic assets being deployed to the Korean peninsula. 
North Korea knows that the U.S. is already busy enough with other international affairs, such as the war in Ukraine and with Russia. And this is probably why they are not hesitant in heightening tensions. I'm going to be honest with you. If, if you know, any people like myself, an average Joe, and I heard that uh, North Korea has uh, just uh, basically launched a couple of uh, aircrafts, uh, fighter jets and things like that, and the South Korean side responded uh, with uh, their own uh, fighter jets. I'm thinking this is war, uh, right? Uh, but obviously, luckily, it's just uh, military exercises here. It is very unusual, which is why I think a lot of us uh, were very concerned with this news. Um, obviously, this is probably uh, at the peak of the highest level of tensions that we've seen on the Korean Peninsula uh, mm -hmm. in some time now. Uh, we talked about the number of short-range ballistic missiles that North Korea test-fired. Uh, we even had the intermediate-range uh, ballistic missile that flew over Japan, which was obviously very concerning uh, for Japan. Uh, yesterday on our program, uh, we just got the news at the time, uh, just shortly after uh, Focus on Headline, that uh, President Yoon Suk-yeol and uh, Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida had held their phone talks, but at the time, we didn't have any information on this. So we're going to get the details on the conversation between the two leaders. Uh, Mian, you have more on this. Sure. In response to North Korea's continued provocation, President Yoon Suk-yeol and Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida spoke on the phone on Thursday late afternoon. According to the press briefing from the president's office, the two leaders spoke on the phone for 25 minutes to discuss North Korea's recent missile launch. The two leaders strongly condemned North Korea's action as serious provocative acts threatening peace and safety not only on the Korean Peninsula, but also in Northeast Asia and in the international community. Deputy presidential spokesperson added that the two leaders share the understanding that North Korea's reckless provocation must be stopped and a clear message that provocation common consequences must be sent to North Korea. Yesterday's talk with the first phone call between the two leaders, where they held their first in-person talks in New York last month to share serious concerns over North Korea's nuclear program. They agreed to work closely with the international community to respond against North Korea. In line of these efforts, they both agreed on the need to improve bilateral ties and maintain communication. In less than two weeks of their first meeting, this first phone call was held as the two countries are now in a situation where sound relations between South Korea and Japan are indispensable. In addition, President Yoon and Prime Minister Kishida highlighted the importance of trilateral cooperation between South Korea, the U.S. and Japan, along with the firm solidarity with the international community. On top of these efforts, Kim Gun, South Korea's special representative on the Korean Peninsula and Security Affairs, talked with Sung Kim and Takahiro Funakaoshi, his U.S. and Japanese counterparts, to discuss the recent provocations by North Korea. And they agreed to redouble their joint efforts to block North Korea's nuclear and missile program, financing through cryptocurrency theft, which was released by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Korea. That's right. And uh, as we had expected yesterday, uh, the talks between the two leaders of uh, South Korea and Japan, uh, they were only going to talk about security issues. There are, uh, I mean, as much as obviously eventually down the line, the two leaders have to talk about the historical issues too. Uh, the most important thing at this time is uh, the North Korea threats. Uh, but the trilateral cooperation among the three countries, again, this 
this has been reinforced more than ever as we've been seeing a number of military exercises being conducted uh, near the Korean Peninsula. This including the U.S. strike uh, group in drills with uh, South Korea and Japan this week. Uh, what else is taking place here? Yes, so with the latest escalation by Pyongyang, followed by North Korea's scrambled fighter jets on yesterday, South Korea's Joint Chief of Staff said that the joint maritime exercise with a U.S. aircraft carrier will take place in South Korea's east coast from today until tomorrow. During this joint drill, South Korea warships such as the Munmu, the Great Destroyer, and the Tunghe Frigate, and also the USS Ronald Reagan and the U.S. missile cruiser Chancellor Bill will be deployed. The Joint Chief of Staff said that this combined exercise featuring the aircraft carrier strike is part of our measures to reinforce the execution power of America's extended deterrence. Yeah, if you remember, I mean, there was the uh, joint uh, naval exercise being conducted with USS Ronald Reagan uh, in the area. And so once uh, USS Ronald Reagan was, you know, departing the Korean Peninsula area, that's when uh, North Korea test fired the intermediate range ballistic missile. And then the USS Ronald Ronald Reagan did a U-turn, came back around that area, and then in response to that, of course, we saw the two more uh, short-range ballistic missiles being shot by North Korea. And then now all this, a lot of back and forth with this, uh, whether or not there's going to be more provocations from North Korea, I'm sure it will come. Uh, but according to U.S. Forces Korea, the Thad Patriot Missile Integrated System, which... Uh, of course, China's not a big fan of. Uh, we'll be running starting the end of this month. Uh, Pugin, let's get the details of that. Sure. So first, I would like to give you the background of what this integration is about. So for many years, the USFK has been working on a three-stage program called the Joint Emergent Operational Need, which aims to integrate the Terminal High Altitude Area Defense, the THAAD system, and the Patriot Advanced Capability Pack 3 Missile Segment Enhancement System into a single defense structure. The first stage is to separate launchers from the battery to enable remote control of the launchers. The second stage is to allow the use of advanced FAD radar information for the launch of Patriot missiles. The last stage is to integrate Patriot missiles into the FAD launchers. So then why are these two separate systems being integrated? Whereas the THAAD system is designed to shoot down missiles at altitudes of 40 to 150 kilometers, the Pac-3 MSC system is built to intercept missiles at altitudes of 40 kilometers and lower. So the integration of these two systems is expected to enhance operational flexibility. And now the U.S. Forces Korea has brought in the new pieces of equipment to its THAAD missile defense unit in Songju, which is the southern part in Korea, to complete the upgrade of the program that will enhance the efficiency of its overall anti-missile capabilities. And this will be complete by the end of this month. In a press release, the Defense Ministry said that the new pieces of equipment will replace the existing ones, which will be transported back to the U.S., an official said, quote, the new equipment does not mean the deployment of an additional THAAD system, unquote. These remarks were made amid China's opposition to any deployment of additional THAAD interceptors. A defense ministry official also said that the upgrade is an example of the United States having delivered on its extended deterrence commitment to the defense of South Korea. Got a message in from uh, Kay uh, among all these messages that we've been coming in at the very start. Uh, Kay says uh, Kim Jong-un may be taking notes from Putin as he's becoming bolder with the strikes. Well, I mean, the thing is, 
the big difference between Kim Jong-un and Putin is that Putin's actually making these strikes uh, in Ukraine, whereas, I mean, Kim Jong-un is not sending these missiles uh, to South Korea, which then, again, it would be a full-on war. Uh, these are just basically, quote-unquote, uh, missile tests where they're basically being sent uh, into the ocean. Uh, and so it, it's it's different. And then we're really hoping that... Well, the one thing that Kim Jong-un did learn from uh, Vladimir Putin is that uh, nuclear weapons are a great deterrence against uh, the West, and why, which is probably the reason why I think uh, North Korea... Uh, it's going to be very difficult for them to uh, denuclearize, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, let's talk about uh, this next piece of story here. The UN Human Rights Council having voted against uh, holding a debate on China's conduct in the Xinjiang region, uh, blocking discussions on Beijing's alleged abuse against the minorities, the Uyghur minorities, and uh, some of the uh, Muslim minorities there as well. Uh, this was because there was a report uh, written by uh, Michelle Bachelet, who was the uh, chief of the UN Human Rights. Uh, she released a report minutes before her term ended. I believe this was like uh, August 31st or something. Uh, she said that she had clear-cut messages there uh, or evidence that there was human rights violations. But despite that, voting against this, uh, Mian, tell us uh, more about this. Right. So yesterday, the UN Human Rights Council in Geneva held a vote among 47 member council to propose a debate on the report published by then-Human Rights Commissioner Michelle Bachelet about serious human rights violation in Xinjiang concluding that Beijing's action against the Muslim Uyghur minority could constitute crimes against humanity. During the Thursday meeting, 17 countries voted in support to hold the debate in this subject matter, whilst 90 members of the council voted against the motion with 11 abstentions. The motion is to hold a debate on the table to discuss human rights violation in the region, which is not to conclude that there has been human rights violation in the region. And countries including Korea and US voted in favor of the notion that there should be no restriction in discussing the human rights issues, which are universal values. So you know what's the interesting thing about the, the 11 extensions? Um, of the 11 countries that have sent it from uh, voting, including Ukraine. Ukraine actually decided not to vote on any of them. And I think this is uh, their way of trying not to irk China. If they get China upset and let's say they tag team with Russia, uh, then that could obviously blow up into a, a, a even bigger crisis for Ukraine. Uh, but, uh, Mian, we were talking about, I just uh, quickly mentioned this uh, UN report uh, written by, of course, Michelle Bachelet. What did the report document? Tell us more about this. Yes, so this report by then UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Michelle Bachelet, which we just covered just now, was published just minute before outgoing commissioner's terms in office came to an end at midnight Geneva time, and that publication has been delayed. It is said that China vehemently opposed the release of the report, and Michelle said that she had faced tremendous pressure to stop the publication of the report. The report documented what is described as arbitrary and discriminatory detention of members of Uyghur and other Muslim groups within the context of the Chinese government's application of counterterrorism and counter-extremism strategies. The report said Beijing's action could constitute crimes against humanity 
detailing what is called cruel, inhuman, and degrading treatment of detainees and credible allegation of sexual and gender-based violence. So the efforts to flag up the attention on these human rights issues and hold a discussion on the subject matter at the international level were rejected, somewhat marking a diplomatic victory for Beijing as Beijing is facing accusations of crime against humanity. Yeah, and China basically came out and said, listen, we're doing nothing wrong here and uh, we have to stop this. And the reason for this is because, hey, it starts with us, but it could be you next uh, because it seems like the United Nations and the U.S., uh, they're basically targeting all these developing nations. So, hey, it's just us right now, but they're probably going to be targeting you. So, you know, we should probably... China did a lot of lobbying before this came out. And what's interesting with this, uh, this was led by the United States and a number of countries, but they said they wanted a quote-unquote discussion, just like a very basic discussion because they didn't want to make it too, uh, look too serious and, uh, you know, countries vote against but you know countries still voted uh, against this but some of the countries that uh, voted against this I mean you weren't surprised it was countries like mm-hmm. Cuba Venezuela uh, Eritrea uh, and uh, Indonesia I believe was uh, part of the countries that were uh, against this uh, let's move on to domestic politics here uh, here's a name that uh, we haven't mentioned in quite a long time uh, he was the big topic of discussion uh, back in July uh, the ruling party the people power party suspending their former chairman Adrian Suck's membership for an additional year here. Uh, can tell us more about this. Sure. So maybe you remember, SJ, that last July, the ethics panel imposed a six-month suspension on Lee over allegations that he had received sexual services as a bribe and attempted to cover it up. So this time on Friday, the ruling People Power Party suspended the membership of former leader Lee Jun-seok for another year in addition to the six-month suspension imposed earlier. And this would make it impossible for Lee to run in the 2024 general elections. The PPP's Ethics Committee held Lee accountable for criticizing President Yoon Seok-yeol and the party with excessive expressions and filing a series of injunction suits against the party's decision to form an emergency leadership committee. And since Lee's party membership was suspended in July and he was removed from office, Lee has filed a series of injunctions against the party's new leadership and stepped up criticism of Yoon and party leaders. And now the Ethics Committee launched a second round of a disciplinary procedure against Lee last month, saying he used insulting, reprehensible expressions against party members and lawmakers without objective grounds and undermined unity and the party's prestige. Lee did not attend the committee's meeting that took place late Thursday evening, which lasted for about five hours, and claimed that he will file a sixth injunction against the party regardless of the decision. The Ethics Committee's decision to further suspend Lee's membership came hours after the Seoul Southern District Court recognized the effectiveness of a PPP Emergency Leadership Committee, which dismissed the three separate injunctions filed by Lee against the PPP's new Emergency Leadership Committee. And the committee's chief, Chief Yi Yang-hee, said the court ruling did not affect the Ethics Committee decision in any way. Yeah, I think when uh, the PPP were going after Lee Jun-suk uh, back in July and they handed him down with a six-month suspension, uh, I mean, we were everyone was saying that it's not going to end just here. I mean, they're probably just after... The, 
get a, get rid of him uh, for good. And then now we're seeing an additional uh, one year suspension here. Uh, also, you know, the, the, yesterday the the announcement was uh, made to reorganize government organizations. There, this is the other thing that we talked about uh, because as part of Yoon's administration's efforts to realize his campaign promise, one of that was to abolish the Ministry of Gender and Equality. Mian, how will this plan unfold with the, the National Assembly? Yes, so followed by the Yoon Sung Yeol administration's announcement on Thursday on the government reorganization plan, which includes the abolishment of Ministry of Gender Equality and Family, and also elevating the status of the Ministry of Patriots and Veterans Affairs, and also creating a new agency for Korean nationals abroad, the ruling People Power Party concluded to propose the amendment to the Government Organization Act. So the floor leader, Chu Ho-young, of the People Power Party, said that the opposition party seems to be agreeing with the elevation of the status of the Ministry of Patriots and Veterans Affairs and the creation of Overseas Korean Agency, but shared a concern on the adjustment of the functions held by the Ministry of Gender Equality and Family. He further added that since this was part of his party's presidential campaign, the People Power Party has requested close cooperation to the Democratic Party on this amendment on the government reorganization for better efficiency of the government administration. On the raised concern about abolishing the Ministry of Gender Equality and Family, President Yoon Sung-yeol marked that this is to reinforce protection of women, families, children, and the socially vulnerable. In his defense, President Yoon said that the abolishment of the Ministry of Gender Equality and Family will enable us to move away from framing victims of sexual misconduct as alleged victim and the government will strengthen protection of women. This remark is once again highlighting the case of uh, the former Seoul Mayor Park Won-soon's sexual harassment when the Ministry of Gender Equality and Family back then didn't raise any voice against this case, which left a question on the role of the ministry in promoting social protection of women. So in terms of the speed on the government reorganization, the cooperation from the opposition party is essential, which is hard to predict whether the process will unfold smoothly or not in the National Assembly. That's right. Uh, Of course, the Ministry of uh, Gender Equality and Family, it was, I mean... uh, Honestly, I mean, for the longest time, it was one of the more controversial uh, ministries out there. But there were people who were saying, well, why not try to improve the ministry instead of getting it, uh, getting rid of it as a whole? But uh, again, uh, this was uh, President Yoon's campaign pledge uh, from the very start here. Uh, guys, let's talk economy this time. Uh, certainly uh, in a time like this right now, we're... The entire world is going through a bit of a crisis here. We can't leave out uh, domestic economy news. Uh, South Korea posting in a, a current account deficit in the month of August. Uh, and this is amid the slowing export figures. Uh, are all economic indicators deteriorating? Uh, give us the details of this. Sure. So according to preliminary data from the Bank of Korea, South Korea posted a current account deficit for the first time in four months in August. The background for such deficit would be slowing exports, increasing imports, along with high crude oil and raw material prices. At home, South Korea is facing numerous challenges such as high inflation, fast-rising interest rates, and along with a widening trade deficit. 
The country's current account shortfall came to 3.05 billion U.S. dollars in August, a sharp turnaround from a surplus of a revised 790 million U.S. dollars recorded a month earlier. It's the first time in four months that the country has posted a current account deficit, and the last shortfall was in April, which was 79.3 million U.S. dollars. And during the January to August period, the country logged a cumulative surplus of 22.52 billion U.S. dollars, which more than halved, halved from a surplus of 56.90 billion a year earlier. And on a customs-cleared basis, exports stood at 56.66 billion U.S. dollars in August, which is up 6.6% from a year earlier. But the growth was slower than the previous month's on-year rise of 8.7%. And also shipments to China dropped 5.4% on-year in August. And in contrast, imports jumped 28.2% on-year to 66.15 billion U.S. dollars in August, increasing from the previous month's 21.7% growth. The faster rise in imports can be attributed to high energy prices and supply disruptions caused by the ongoing war in Ukraine. And crude oil prices surged 73.5% in August from a year earlier. And the Bank of Korea said that this shortfall will be a temporary thing and that the account will return to a surplus in September. And now with more people going abroad, the service account also turned red. The deficit in the service account came to 770 million U.S. dollars in August, compared with a surplus of 290 million U.S. dollars the previous month. And in the meanwhile, President Yoon presided over an emergency economic meeting on Friday morning, calling for continued vigilance with regard to economic affairs and for the installment of a financial safety valve. President Yoon also pledged to inject funds this month to stabilize the financial markets. All right. Uh, in the meantime, uh, on the subject of economy, the U.S. government will be announcing new restrictions preventing China from accessing key semiconductor uh, technology. This, of course, has been a goal of uh, the U.S. administration there. Uh, what are the implications of these new restrictions and the underlying intention, Mian? Yes, so according to the U.S. Department of Commerce, new rules to bar Chinese companies from accessing cutting-edge technology for semiconductors will be announced. These will include export restrictions on equipment or technology to make that equipment for manufacturing chips and prohibit the export of tools for production, certain logic and memory chips in China and further restricting access to chips using supercomputing and artificial intelligence as well as related technology. All this set of new controls and regulations is part of the U.S. government's long-standing effort to limit China's access to high-end semiconductor technology and protect and boost their own domestic semiconductor production capacity. Nevertheless, this will inevitably have some indirect impact on Korean companies operating in China, namely those Samsung Electronics and SK Hynix with factories in China. So such measures will impose some restrictions on these companies since those operating in China will then have to seek for approval in advance from the U.S. to get the necessary equipment for production. So they, in fact, are already experiencing a global economic slowdown. For instance, uh, Samsung Electronics 
banks reported a drop in its operating profits to almost 32% on-year in the third quarter at 7.6 billion US dollars, marking the first on-year decrease in almost three years. With these upcoming restrictions, the Korean government is seeking closer cooperation with the U.S. government to minimize the impact on the semiconductor industry. Yeah, and this is exactly what I was talking about before. When we're, I, you know, by the way, the, one of the uh, issues that's not being mentioned as much on the news is that the Chip Four, right? I mean, there was a time where uh, mm. the U.S.-led Chip Four quote-unquote alliance was being mentioned left and right. Uh, South Korea has not yet made it clear whether or not they're going to join the alliance. But this is the problem that we're talking about right now. And and, and South Korea knows this. uh, And I think the U.S. knows that South Korea relies heavily on a lot of these uh, raw materials. South Korea just doesn't make the semiconductor chips out of nowhere. They just go snap of the finger and then boom, there's semiconductor chips, there's memory chips. They need raw materials and the vast number of rare earth and these uh, raw materials come from China. And so when the U.S. continues to make these restrictions, it is going to be very difficult for South Korea to continue uh, to produce these. So uh, we'll have to see uh, how this pans out because that's the other thing that I'm very curious about, just the lack of discussion on that for alliance here. Uh, in other news here and some uh, international affairs, the IMF chief warning of higher recession risk, darker global outlook. Uh, I guess, Pogyang, uh, what can we expect going forward here? Sure. So in an address of the annual meetings of the IMF and World Bank on Thursday, IMF Managing Director Kristalina Georgieva said that countries that account for about one-third of the world economy will experience at least two consecutive quarters of contraction beginning this or next year. According to Georgieva, IMF expects a global output loss of about 4 trillion U.S. dollars over the next several years. She said that 4 trillion U.S. dollars is almost the size of the German economy, so that being gone. And IMF downgraded growth projections three times since October last year. Last time, IMF brought 2022 to 3.2% growth. And now for 2023, projections stood at 2.9%. And uh, Georgieva also highlighted that even though the world has lived through shock after shock during the past three years or so, including the COVID-19 pandemic, and Russia's invasion of Ukraine, she still expects that things are likely to get worse before getting better. She's like, well, when, when do we get a break here? I mean, for the past three years here, it's like, oh, it seems like COVID-19 is going to finally slow down and boom, it goes back again. And now we're at a stage where I think we're, uh, the you know, the, the light at the end of the tunnel where the pandemic is about to be over. And then we have the, uh, you know, the war in Ukraine here. And then now the economy is all going boop uh, you know so yeah i'm not ex- i'm not surprised that uh, we're getting these kind of uh, outlooks from the imf here uh let's see let's move on to other news here uh, joe biden's recent remark at a fundraiser for the democratic senatorial campaign where he said uh, we have not faced a prospect of armageddon since the days of president kennedy and the cuban missile crisis uh, this raised the alarms to the uh, international community out there of the seriousness of the security threat that we're facing today uh mian round this with this, uh, well, tell us more about this statement. Yes, sir. President Joe Biden said on Thursday that the risk of nuclear Armageddon is at the highest level since the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962, warning about the escalating threat of nuclear attacks by Russia. 
On his remarks on President Putin, President Biden further added that, quote, Putin is not joking when he talks about potential use of tactical nuclear weapons or biological or chemical weapons, unquote. Now, U.S. officials for months have warned about the prospect that Russia could use weapons of mass destruction in Ukraine as Russia has faced a series of strategic setbacks on the battlefield. The withdrawal of Russian forces from a strategically important town in eastern Ukraine prompted two powerful allies of Putin this week to publicly mock the war machine's leaders. To date, the armed forces of Ukraine have liberated more than 400 square kilometers of territories in Kyrgyzstan region and are advancing farther towards the east as Ukrainian troops push from Donetsk into Luhansk. That's right. So, so far, what we're seeing is, again, uh, the Ukrainian forces are taking back some of these land. The next thing that we saw happen was uh, Putin basically declaring a decree on a partial mobilization where I believe like 100,000 people who, by the way, have like minimal training. Uh, are basically going uh, into the front lines there. If that fails, uh, well, they also had the referendum uh, where basically they annexed the uh, four regions, including Zaprosia, Kurzion, Donetsk, and Luhansk. Uh, and if all of these don't work out, what's the next big thing that Putin has his sleeves? Uh, it could be a nuclear weapon that he could use. And, uh, you know, some people are saying that uh, Putin's just bluffing. I, I don't think Putin's bluffing. Again, I said this before, if Kim Jong-un uh, threatens nuclear weapons, I wouldn't be as scared. But when Putin threatens uh, nuclear weapon usage, I- I'd be a bit scared here. Uh, guys, on a lighter note here, since we talked about so much uh, serious news today, I just want to read this comment from uh, Hooligan KJ. This-, this is for you, Pogyang. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hooligan KJ says, not kidding. She looks like Soi Hyunjin with the mask on. Who? You- Me? <laughs> you- <laughs> First time I've ever <laughs> Thank you, whoever you are. <laughs> I just had to, we just had to get in a bit of a laughter here so with all the serious news here. Po Kyung, thank you very thank much. Thank you very much. Mian, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, it was good to have you on, and of course, part of our Korea Now team. And uh, stay safe, both of you guys, and we'll see you guys again. Have a good weekend. Thank you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.